Good morning. Good morning. Well, uh, this morning I'm speaking here and then going down to out of the congregation at 502, so that's why I'm having a shorter time of worship at the beginning and be more time to respond later on. Uh, it'll actually be my last time down at 502 before uh, sabbatical starting next week. So I'll be here next Sunday morning and then we'll drop the mic and walk out. As, as, as uh, talking to Matt Lawrence beforehand, he was asking me how I was feeling about it. I was actually feeling incredibly stressed about going on sabbatical. <laughs> it's much more relaxing being in a normal working routine, I think. So, ah. Anyway, I'm sure it'll be great. Right. Uh, Christians are, are believers. It's one of the ways we describe ourselves. Are, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? And all kinds of people believe all kinds of things. Some things that people believe are true. Other things that people believe are not true. But really we want belief to be grounded on something which is solid. If we're going to believe, we want to have genuine belief. We don't, don't want to be gullible. We want to have solid belief grounded in something which is certain. We're starting today a series in the Gospel of John, which we're planning to take us through right to the end of the year. And the purpose of the Gospel of John is to provide a foundation for belief in Jesus Christ, to demonstrate that Christian belief makes sense. Uh, towards the end of the Gospel of John, John 20, verse 30, it says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, not recorded in the Gospel of John, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The reason the Gospel of John has been written was so that you might have belief and that you might go on believing. So this, this, is, a, this is a series which is intended both for those who do not yet believe, that as people amongst us who don't yet believe in Jesus, we're hoping to show as we go through John that uh, believing in Jesus is credible, but it's also, of course, a series for those of us who do believe, who are believers, showing us why we should continue to believe in Jesus and all that he has done. On uh, Wednesday morning, I had the privilege with Richard and Victoria Stamp of, of uh, being with Shirley Ann Mayle just a couple of hours before she died. Um, that uh, rather shocking news to us this week of Shirley's death. And uh, she was obviously uh, very close to the end, but thought she might have a little bit longer. So to get a call just a couple of hours later that she'd gone was, was, was a shock. But uh, thinking about the relevance of this in a situation like that, this is, these things are written that by believing, you may have life in his name. And uh, as we sat with Shirley, as she talked about, she knew she was going to die, she talked about things that she wanted to happen at, happen at her funeral. She talked about songs that she liked to be sung as she talked about us and how much she's missing people and how much she wanted to see people from church. There was this real sense of, of believing that you might have life in his name, that even as she was so close to death and then going to be with the Lord a couple of hours after I'd seen her, there was life that was working in her even as her mortal body was approaching death. That's the belief that we have, and it's very powerful in a moment like that when a believer is close to transitioning from this life to glory, but it needs to be real for us at all times. So we're starting this morning at the beginning, John chapter 1, 
We're on page 1063 in these Bibles. And this is one of the most dramatic and exciting parts of Scripture. And uh, it's a passage of Scripture that I really can't do justice to. It's such an amazing passage of Scripture. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just thinking about what this passage of Scripture says. So we're going to see how we do in 20 minutes or so this morning. Uh, Grace is going to come and read this for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but only the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is a scripture that we read at Christmas time at the climax of our traditional cow service last December, I think it was Samuel Bertie uh, who read this scripture for us, and I remember that being a, it was a kind of a, a weighty moment uh, standing at the front, I could kind of hear a sort of audible ha ah, from the congregation, because as these words were written as the climax of all that we'd heard in the Christmas story, the songs we'd sung, the scriptures we'd had read, there's just a, a weightiness to this, it's, this piece of scripture is, is so beautiful and it is so true and there is a majesty a grandeur about it what we see in this scripture is is hope there's also sorrow and there's great promise and uh, i've called this message this morning lights camera action it's a lights camera action scripture so first thing we see the lights come on hope What you believe about your origins will shape how you look at the rest of your life. What you understand about your family origins will shape how you 
feel about the rest of life. Uh, my father has just published his biography, This Side of the Door. And Siska is such a fan of my dad. She's got her own copy. He's not his day. He's preaching at church in Bath. Were you hoping he was going to sign it for you or something? <laughs> has he already signed it? Um, but uh, if you... I found it, there's some things in here I didn't know. And if you want to understand my dad, if you want to understand... <laughs> Past his understanding. <laughs> if, you, if you want to understand me, actually, if you want to understand some of the things about this church, because there's quite a lot about this church in here, then it might be worth spending eight, nine, nine, or whatever it is on this side of the door and getting that. And you maybe you can even get my dad to sign it for you as well. What you understand about your family's origins will shape how you feel about yourself. But beyond that, what you believe about our origins as the human race, as the planet, why are we here? Uh, current science has very, various ideas about the origins of the universe, but perhaps the most widely accepted is that there was this thing called the initial singularity, and that before everything began, there was the initial singularity, an object probably no bigger than you or me, which contained all the energy and the matter which we now see in the universe. The, infinite, unmeasurable energy and matter that makes up our universe now, the hundreds of billions of stars and the hundreds of billions of galaxies, all was contained within this object, the initial singularity. And then at the moment of the Big Bang, that suddenly exploded and all the matter and energy of the universe was released. And here we are now with the immeasurable, fathomless depths of the universe and beautiful planet Earth hovering somewhere in it and you and me sitting here on in this room today. Now, thinking about that is pretty mind-blowing. It can seem unbelievable that there was nothing, just the initial singularity, and now there is the limitless, immeasurable universe. And it's one of the challenges, I think, for everybody to think about, that that is so miraculous sounding. If you can believe that, why can't you believe something else? And if you believe that, but your belief is godless, that produces very different results from believing that God was behind it all. That if there was an initial singularity from which all things have come, actually, whether God created that or whether somehow, miraculously, that's not even the appropriate word, somehow it just was, that produces very different re results in how you see yourself, how you see the world. It produces very different ways in which we value ourselves, the earth, the universe. You can see it in just things like the stuff that surrounds us, art and architecture. Uh, art and architecture, which have been inspired by belief in a creator, has produced so much beauty and splendor. Amazing works of art, incredible, glorious buildings. A belief system which has rejected God tends to produce things which are ugly. Modern art, which is often seems to be chaotic or depicting nothing but pain, or buildings which are just brutalist lumps of concrete. A belief in God has very different results in how we feel about life, how we feel about ourselves, what we produce. A belief in a creator is itself something which feeds creativity in a way which is beautiful and satisfying. Belief in a creator creates accountability. Without belief in a creator, it's very difficult, I'd say actually impossible, to produce 
a rational, satisfying moral system? How do we make moral judgments? How do we make value judgments if we are just working it out in ourselves? Who is the ultimate power to which we can appeal? There isn't one, but if we believe in God, if we believe in a creator, that gives us someone to whom we are accountable. It changes how we think about the world. It changes how we think about morality. It changes how we think about beauty. And where John begins his gospel is here, right at the beginning. At the beginning, it all begins with God. And seeing that, believing that, changes how you look at everything, that God is behind it all. There is a creator who's made it all. That changes how you think about it all. And so John starts, in the beginning, in the beginning. And this is the same opening, same opening phrase as we find in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, first three words of the Bible, in the beginning. In, in the Hebrew language, those three words in the beginning are a single word, Bereshith. And that word Bereshith is the name which the people of Israel gave to the book of Genesis in the beginning, the first book. And the book of Genesis, Bereshith, begins, in the beginning God created. In the beginning God created. John begins in the same place, but he adjusts it somewhat. And John says, in the beginning God was. Genesis In the beginning, God created. John, in the beginning, God was. What the Gospel of John does is to go beyond and behind the creation to help us see who made all things, to see the one who is the creator. And what John tells us is that creation was not just about the lights coming on, but it is about the one who is the light. That's what this book is about, the one who is the light. And there's a a belief claim which is being made right here in the opening words of this gospel. If If you want to see the light, you need to see Jesus. If you want to walk in clarity, if you want to understand why everything is here, you need to see Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't named as Jesus in these first verses of John. He's spoken of as the Word, the the Logos, the one who is the light, the Word that is the light, the Word that spoke creation into being. Without the Word, there would have been no initial singularity. There would have been no Big Bang. There would have been no world. There would have been no you. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, the light. And this word took on human flesh and walked among us. In the word made flesh, we see God. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. And the breaking out of this light, the light coming on, is is announced by John. Now, this can be slightly confusing. There's two Johns here. There's John the disciple, who's the author and the source of this book, of this gospel which we're reading, And there's John the Baptist who's being described here, who was the herald of the light. John the Baptist came before Jesus and announced that the lights were about to come on. It says that he witnessed to the light. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. John was a witness to the light. Everyone's life witnesses to something. Everybody is a witness. Your life tells a story about the things you're witnessing to. John's life was a witness to Christ. And those of us who, like John, believe in Jesus, 
are called to witness ourselves in order that others might believe. That's the point of this gospel. These things are written so that you may believe. Believe, it's the most important verb, the most important word in the gospel of John. That you may believe. The the lights have come on. Jesus has walked amongst us. The word has been amongst us. Believe in the one who is the light. Second thing is that the camera begins to roll. And here we get something actually of an expression of of sorrow. We we read this passage at Christmas time. It's It's a familiar passage to many of us. But we can, of course, become over-familiar with the gospel story. It's, uh, even at Christmas, it's one of the chances of Christmas that it can start to sound trite because we're also familiar with the story. Jesus came, was born in a manger. Some shepherds and wise men came to see him. Jesus grew up. Jesus died. Jesus came back to life. Let's all go home and eat mince pies. It can become something which almost feels trivial. We can miss the power of the gospel story through over-familiarity. And, and, and the shock in this story which we're meant to see is that the light came into the world the light through whom all things were made the light without whom there would have not have been the initial singularity and the big bang with the light without whom there wouldn't have been the universe the world this planet you without him we would not have existed the light himself took on flesh he walked among us but the world did not recognize him he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him. It's like the cameras are starting to roll, the Logos has entered the room, but the crowd is oblivious to who he is. The one who made it all, lit it all, was unrecognized. The lights have come on. John the Baptist has announced the light is entering, but Jesus didn't appear like a movie star. He wasn't recognized. Imagine Scarlett Johansson suddenly walking into this room or God forbid, Prince Harry suddenly coming into this room. Everybody would recognize them, would know who they were. But Jesus walked into the room and was unrecognized. And that lack of recognition is painful, sorrowful. It's a very intimate thing which is described here. It says in verse 11, he came to that which was his own. Another way to think of that is it's like he came into his own home he came into his own home but his own did not receive him Jesus came to the people of Israel he came to God's own people he came to the ones who should have known but he was not received by them imagine walking into your home and not being recognized if you're a parent of teenagers, that might feel quite familiar. <laughs> but that's not how it's meant to be. You walk into your home with your family, you're recognized. Jesus walked into his own home, but his own did not receive him. The light was shining, but the people were still blind to it. There was a rejection of the light. And that's sorrowful. And there's the sorrow of that ongoing, that continuing rejection. That even though the light shines, even though the light has walked amongst us, there are still so many who do not recognize him, who do not receive him, who reject him. When we do come to belief, 
Suddenly, belief can feel so obvious. We've seen this many times with people who come to faith in Jesus, and suddenly it is a light coming on moment. Suddenly they see, eyes are opened. There's a truth that is revealed to them, and it's like, this is so obvious. Why didn't I see this before, and why doesn't everybody see this? It's so clear, it's so obvious that Jesus is the light, that he is the word, that he is the creator. Why can't everybody see this? Suddenly everything starts to make sense because you see who Jesus is. Why don't more people see this, perceive it, believe it? The, the reality is that we're living in an area of history when those who see Jesus can feel small in number. The reality is that we are a minority group. But don't fear. The light shines and will be seen. The uh, Victorian writer G.K. Chesterton once said, there are about five different times in church history when it looks as if the church has gone to the dogs, but in the end, all five times, it was the dogs who died. And we're in one of those eras where it might feel like the church has gone to the dogs, that there's not many who believe. But those eras have come and they've gone. Each time it's that era that goes to the dogs. The light does shine and will be seen. So we should sorrow at the disbelief that is around us. When people don't see the light, when those who should receive Jesus don't, when those who should see him somehow can't, we should be sorrowful about that. There should be a sorrow about men and women rejecting Christ, the light of the world. We should be sorrowful that the cameras are rolling and yet so many people seem to be missing the action. But we shouldn't despair because God is at work. And so the third thing we see is the action of God, God's promise. The uh, Bible scholar, commentator in his Commentary on John, F.D. Bruno makes an observation that in Western movies, the hero always comes from the outside of town. The hero doesn't come from in the town, the hero walks into the town. You know the plot of a Western movie, the bad guys are taking over the town and all the inhabitants of the town seem powerless in the face of these bullies who are taking over the town and then suddenly the stone-jawed hero rides into town and sorts of bad guys out. And uh, Brunner asks this question, did Hollywood Westerns pick up this theme from the gospel, or more simply, is the necessity of outside help for the human predicament imprinted deep inside the human genome? We know it's in us. We know that we need help. We need help from outside us. We need someone bigger and stronger than us to help us with our issues, to help us navigate life, to help make sense of it all, to rescue us from our enemies and bring us into peace and security and life. And Jesus was the hero who walked into town. He was unrecognized, but he was still the hero. And we need to see the promise of what Jesus was doing when he walked into town. We need to see God's action as described here, and that God has given us the right to become children of God. The right to become children. Last week when the king was uh, crowned and then afterwards when they appeared on the balcony at Buckingham Palace, the family members, apart from a couple of those who've disgraced themselves, the family members appeared on the balcony with the new king and they had a right to be there, a right that came simply because by 
luck or genetics, they happen to be born into that family. Being born into that family gave them the right to stand on that balcony in the eyes of the world. And John tells us here that there is something even more wonderful for the Christian, that in a sense we get to stand on the balcony with Jesus. And that's not an accident of nature, it's because God has given you the right to be born of God, to be described, named, called as one of his children, granted the right to be God's child. Later in the Gospel of John, John 15, Jesus talks about a vine and the branches and talks about how the branches are plugged into the vine and there's the lifeblood of the, of the vine which keeps the branches alive. And, and that's what happens to us when our eyes are open to see the lights and we're declared to be children of God, so that we're no longer spiritual orphans. We're now adopted as God's sons and daughters. And this, this answers for us what, what seems to be the biggest question of our age. In our current point of history, the thing which men and women seem most to be wrestling with is this sense of identity. Who am I? What is my status? Where do I fit? Where do I belong? And there's all kinds of reasons why people feel that. We explore some of those things now. Uh, the Air We Breathe series before Easter. But it seems to be the biggest question of our age. What is my identity? And Jesus answers that biggest question for us of who am I by enabling us to be declared as children of God. The believer, the Christian, can always have that confidence, that status, that assurance. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I've been grafted in to the vine. I, I have the right, the right, the privilege to be declared as a child of God. This is who I am. The great Christian theologian Augustine, writing in the fifth century, said, God became human so that humans could become again in reality human. You want to know who you really are. You want to find your identity. You want to find your purpose in life. You find that in Christ. He God took on flesh, became human so that we could become fully human, so that we could become children of God. We're given that right. God is in action. We see God's action in us receiving grace upon grace. It says that we're given grace out of his fullness. It says in verse 14, he is full of grace and truth, and he shares us this with us. There's, there's no holding back on God's part towards us. There's a, there's a fullness of grace, of unmerited, unearned, undeserved love and favor which God has for his children. Not, not, the, not the skim, not even the scammy skimmed version, not even the blue top version, but the full fat Guernsey double cream version, the fullness of God's grace is available for you. There's nothing depleted, skinny, weedy about God's grace. There's a fullness to it. There's a bigness. There's a largeness. There's a greatness to it. Out of the fullness of his grace, there's no holding back towards us in God's part. John writes this gospel that you may believe. If you're a believer, you need to believe in the fullness of God's grace towards you. Fullness of God's grace to you right now. There is sufficient grace for you whatever situation in life you are facing whatever you felt as you walked in this morning there's sufficient grace for you whatever's going to come your way tomorrow there's sufficient grace for you you need to remember that there's sufficient grace in each and every situation those things which make you feel 
stressed going on sabbatical. There's sufficient grace. Whatever's happening in your life, there is sufficient grace. Not limited, not weedy, not skinny. Full, fat grace available for you. We need to believe it. We need to lay hold of that. It might be this morning that some of you have come in feeling depleted in the sense of God's grace. And you need to come to Jesus. You need to receive prayer at the end of our time. You need to press in and worship as we take bread and wine. You need to ask for a fresh experience of grace. God, I need to know your grace in this moment in my life. I need to know. I need to taste. I need to sink my teeth into the fullness of the grace of God. It's for you today. We need to believe in the eternal love of God. The eternal love. We saw that promise in Titus as we were going through that recently. God who does not lie promised before the ages began eternal life for those who believe. Your believer, there is this promise of eternal life and eternal love from the eternal God. The one who stands behind it all, the one who is the light, the one who spoke all creation into being, the one without whom there would be no universe, no world, no you. He has eternal love for you which cannot be broken. And again, it might be this morning that you need to step into a fresh experience of the love of God. That as we come back into worship, as we come to take bread and wine, as we pray for one another, you need to come and say, Lord, let me be filled again with a fresh sense of your love. And there is certain security. Grace upon grace. You put your trust in Jesus, you put your belief in him, there's certain security. Now and forever. Dear Shirley Ann, as she was lying in that bed, had certain security. Those of you who know her, most of us do. Think about her life. She had such a terrible upbringing, experienced such real abuse and deprivation. And that, of course, colored the rest of her life. But she knew such deep security, which was perhaps more evident than I've ever seen it in her at the moment she was about to die. There's a security for us, which is everlasting because it is given to us by the everlasting God who is full of grace and truth and shares that fullness with us. And so it might be that some of you came in this morning you're feeling insecure for whatever reason. Insecure in yourself, insecure in life, insecure in your relationships, insecure in your work, whatever it might be. We come to the God who promises us eternal security. And so as we come back into worship, as we take the bread and the wine, as we pray for one another, It might be that you need to pray, ask God in your grace, in the fullness of your grace. Let me have a fresh experience of the security that is mine in Christ. And then we see God's action in that we are able to know God. The invisible God is made visible in Christ. John not only wrote this gospel, he also wrote three letters which appear in the scriptures. In 1 John 1 He wrote this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the words of life. John and the other disciples, they looked upon Jesus. They held Jesus with their physical bodies. They were able to embrace the physical Christ. The Logos, the light, the word made flesh, God walking amongst us. And John writes this that we might believe that those who have gazed upon Jesus, have embraced Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, eaten with Jesus, 
proclaim the word of life to us. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. This is what the Gospel of John is all about, that you may believe. You can know God. Knowing God is possible because Jesus has made him known. How do I get to know God? You get to know God by knowing Jesus. How do you get to know Jesus? You get to know Jesus by believing. What is written in this gospel, what is proclaimed in the scripture, what has been declared by the saints. Jesus, the words made flesh. God walks amongst us. The lights have come on. The cameras have rolled. The action is starting. Jesus, believe in him and receive fullness of grace. The right to become his child because you know who the living God is. Jesus, may our eyes be opened to see you. I pray, light of the world, light of the world, I pray you to open our eyes. Lord, I pray for any here this morning who have not yet come to that place of belief that even today their eyes might be opened and they come to that moment to say, of course, it's so obvious. Why didn't I see this before? And I pray for us who know you, Jesus, that we again would be called to fresh belief, which is sustaining and powerful for us. Lord, I, I pray that you would also prick our hearts with a fresh sense of sorrow for those who don't know you. Lord, I pray that we would, we would feel that burden of, of wanting to call people to belief. Lord, we see the see the world, people just stumbling along in their own way and missing what is most true and most beautiful and most important. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would feel that burden of, of sorrow at those who have not yet seen you. And that, like John the Baptist, we would witness in our lives to the truth, to the light. So, Lord, help us. Help us now in belief. Help us to call others, others to belief. Help us go on believing. Help us to know who we are because we know who you are and the great glad tidings of that. In your name we ask it, Jesus. Amen. Amen.